This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Due to the graphic nature of this urban legend, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes gore and detailed descriptions of car collisions. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. It's late at night. The cars on the highway start to thin out. You can drive miles without seeing anyone. Then a car emerges, almost an apparition, following close behind. It flashes its lights and honks its horn, creeping closer and closer to the back of your bumper. But it's only there for your protection. There's something much, much worse than a pursuing car. And it's in your back seat. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, we take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth and share their stories. This episode is part of our Urban Legends Halloween special. Every day for the month of October, we're presenting our spooky spin on an urban legend, then diving into the history of the horror. Like it or not, each terrifying tale contains a grain of truth. You can find episodes of Haunted Places and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, listen to more episodes of Haunted Places and all ParCast originals on Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Today, we examined a legend that started in the mid-60s, but had made its way into popular slasher films and police procedurals by the mid-90s. The tale of The Killer in the Back Seat is a safety lesson to women straight out of a chain letter from your Aunt Jane. Always check your back seat before you start driving at night. You never know who could be hiding there. At some point, at some hour, usually late at night or first thing in the morning when we're late for work, we've all had the thought, everyone but me is a bad driver. We grow used to the usual aggressions, changing lanes without signaling, turning left at the start of the light rather than the end, and of course, tailgating. It's scarier than we'll often admit, especially on a dark road in the middle of the night. But what happens if the tailgater is actually the one trying to help you, and the real danger isn't outside your car, but within? After eight hours on her feet, 
Jessie wanted nothing more than to curl up in her bed and pass out. But it was 2 a.m., and she was just locking the door to the coffee shop. She had a half-hour drive to contend with before she'd be able to get some rest. Not to mention a 5 a.m. opening the next day. She figured if she got home, collapsed, slept an hour and a half, and then dozed in the shower, she would be all right. But she tried not to think about labor law violations past midnight. She pulled down the doors, making sure they were locked. Satisfied, she stood at the edge of the parking lot. The lot was for customers only. Jessie had to park across the street. The road was quiet. The crosswalk seemed so far away. Jessie took her chances and ran across the street. Two steps before she reached the safety of the opposite sidewalk, a car zoomed down the street, kicking up the air around her. She stumbled onto the curb, grabbing a parking sign for balance. The car sped off in the night, matching the pace of her heart. If she'd been a step or two slower, she would have been hit. She pictured pieces of her splattered all over the road, the largest chunk smacking against the window of the little shop that had owned her soul for the last three years. It wasn't a pleasant thought. The area around her car was empty, standing alone under one blinking lamppost. A long white scratch stretched along the side of her car. She bent down to examine it. <sighs> Surface damage. Another expense she couldn't pay. Sighing, Jessie got into her car. She rested her head against the steering wheel. Her legs ached. Her head pounded. She could feel the exhaustion in her bones. Just a half hour more and then she could be home. A soft bed beneath her and no work responsibilities for two hours. Joy. Jessie sat up straight, yawned loudly, and then put the keys in the ignition. If there was one thing she could be grateful for at night, it was the lack of other cars on the road. Jessie wasn't the most confident driver, and when she was feeling tired, her reaction time got even worse. But the quiet, even sound of the road beneath the car was lulling her to sleep. She closed her eyes for just a moment. A horn blared and Jessie snapped awake. Her car was veering toward the right, headed for the guardrails. She spun the wheel to the left quickly, her body jerking with the abrupt switch in direction. Her heart pounded loudly in her forehead and ears. Her vision was blurry. She knew that pulling over would be the smarter choice, but she didn't want to delay getting home. She needed sleep, just a little sleep. Jessie sang to herself as she drove. There was one other car on the road, a red hatchback. She didn't know when it had appeared. She'd have to keep a better eye on things, otherwise she'd end up hurting someone. A thump came from behind her seat. She started to turn around. The car pulled slightly into the opposite lane. Jessie refocused her attention. The hatchback was speeding up now. Jessie hoped that it would pass her, she kept her speed consistent while the other car accelerated. She waited for the car to pass along the shoulder. Instead, it stayed on her tail. Jessie sped up slightly. The car followed at the same speed. She rolled down her window and gestured for the car to pass her. This was not the kind of game she wanted to play this late at night. 
The car ignored her completely. It sped up until the bumper grazed the back of her car. Jessie pressed down on the accelerator. She checked her rearview mirror, trying to see what she could glean about the driver behind her. A flash of something flew in and out of the mirror. She frowned. She wondered, for just a moment, if something could have gotten inside her car. A moth? A cat? A man? No. It was late and she was tired. It was entirely possible that she was just seeing things. She had bigger problems to worry about. She tensed in her seat, accidentally pressing harder on the accelerator. The car kept pace with her. It flipped its high beams on and off. Jessie squinted against the light. Her eyes strained to make out the road with the bright light behind them. Her car bumped a reflector, rising and falling. The red car followed her even closer. It was sitting on her bumper now. She tried to accelerate away from it, but it continued to match speed. She stuck her hand out the window again, shaking her open palm in a gesture of exasperation. The car continued to slam on the horn in response. Jessie pulled toward the right, heading for the shelter. The honking increased, blotting out all other sounds. She couldn't think beyond the noise and her intense desire for it to just stop. The lights flashed again behind her. Everything was blurring into a haze of sound and white light. Her car skidded against the guardrail, taking the side mirror off with it. She tried to correct, but the steering wheel was starting to stick. The red car refused to leave her alone. It drove onto the shelter, keeping a wider distance between the car and the guardrail than she had. It hit her bumper again. Her head banged against the steering wheel. Jessie swerved back towards the road. She needed to get away from the sky, but still, he mirrored her movements. She gunned the accelerator. There was a turn up ahead. She could lose him if she was fast enough. He followed behind, and she pressed harder. The car was nearing 90 miles an hour. She took the turn sharply, but she hadn't calculated how much space she needed. Jessie started to pull for the guardrail again and spun the wheel hard to the left. She didn't notice the car in the other lane until she was barreling towards it. Jessie slammed her foot on the brakes, but nothing happened. She tried again. The speedometer crept down from 90 to 85. Jessie attempted to spin the wheel, but it was stuck again. Her eyes shot back towards the rearview mirror. Metal glinted against the moonlight. The red car had finally started to slow behind her. It was a hollow victory. Her gaze turned back to the front. She could see the whites of the oncoming driver's eyes, the sheer panic written across their face. Jessie's own panic gripped her tightly. The horn blared in her ears. Then the night went silent and still, as if it was holding its breath. With a loud crunch, her world collapsed. There was nothing left but a swirl of blood and darkness. Up next, Jesse finds out there are worse things than car accidents. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Jessie couldn't breathe. There was something squishy pressing against her face. Her eyes opened slowly. White powder floated in the air. She wiped at her face. It was covered in the stuff. The airbag had deployed. She didn't even know how she had made that happen. It wasn't supposed to come out unless there was an accident. Memories started to float back to her. A car following her, sharp turns, pushing into the opposite lane, the flash of fear on the other driver's face. She'd caused an accident, a head-on collision. She couldn't bear to lift her eyes to find the other car. Pain pierced her skull as she lifted her head. Broken glass covered the dashboard like fallen stars. She could feel pieces of it in her hair. The seatbelt pressed tightly against her chest. Jesse turned on the overhead light. She craned her head and felt more pain burn through her. The seatbelt was stuck. Jessie slammed her thumb on the little red button, but it wouldn't release. Through the driver's side mirror, she could see someone coming towards her. They were walking through the darkness, holding something tightly in their hands. The object glinted red as it passed through Jessie's last functioning taillight. As she strained to look closer, the rearview mirror dropped down onto the driver's console. She drew in a breath to scream, but the pain stopped any sound from coming out, aside from an almost dog-like whine. Her panicked eyes searched her surroundings. The figure outside was gone. She willed her tired and wounded body to relax. The mirror was just another casualty of the collision. Help would come soon. Jessie turned towards the sound. Her shock finally overwhelmed her pain. She screamed. A man stood next to her, looking in from her shattered windows. He gripped a jagged pair of scissors tightly in his right hand. It was coated in some dark, sticky liquid. As if he'd just seen himself, the man put down the scissors and asked if she would unlock her doors. She froze up. Her head was pounding and his words came to her like he was shouting into a tunnel. She wanted to answer back, but her mouth wouldn't move. She swallowed, tried again. Her voice was scratchy and hoarse as she asked why he was holding scissors. He gesticulated wildly to indicate that he needed to cut her out of her seatbelt. Jessie wanted to say no. She didn't know who this man was or where he came from, but she was stuck in the seatbelt and she was struggling to breathe. Her fingers trembled as she reached over and flipped the lock. He opened the door and put the open blades against her skin, cutting through the belt. The pressure against her chest released. She went to thank him, but his eyes were glued to the back seat. Jessie slowly turned her head. There was blood spattered on the right side of the back seat still dripping in blooms from impact. It was too far away from the driver's seat to be hers. 
The man, Scott, explained that he had been the one following her. She tried to push out of her seat and away from him. He told her to relax. He'd been trying to keep her safe. She laughed, the sound more closely resembling the scrape of metal against ceramic than a human voice. He stammered that someone else had been in the car. He'd tried to save her life by bumping the car and speeding up at random intervals. In the fog of her mind, his answer made some sense. But there was a strange light behind his eyes that she didn't trust. Jesse asked Scott to move backwards. He looked a bit hurt, but obliged. She hauled herself out of the wreckage, slowly. For the first time, she dared to look at the car she had hit. The front was crunched together. She could barely make out the shape of a body. Her legs faltered as she tried to get closer. Jessie gripped what remained of the front of her car for support. The other woman was dead. Her face was frozen in fear, eyes still wide with panic. The rearview mirror was embedded in her forehead. Jessie turned away. She couldn't stare at those eyes anymore. Scott was examining her back seat. He told her not to look and to head to the car. She didn't see the red car behind her own. Scott told her he had parked it back by the turn. He didn't want to be in the way when the police showed up. Jessie walked towards the curve in the road. She could hear the crunch of gravel behind her as Scott followed. She asked when he had called the police. He told her he hadn't yet. He'd just rushed over to help. Jessie hadn't stopped to think about where her own phone had ended up in this mess. Now, it was too far away for her to check. Her calves burned with the effort of just staying upright. But she had to know if Scott's car was there. She was running out of steam. Her knees wouldn't stop shaking. She could feel blood dripping down her back. The powder on her face burned. She wanted to sit down, if only for a moment, and catch her breath. Scott's feet were still echoing behind her. He wasn't bothering to catch up with her, even though she was more ambling than walking. Jessie slowed as she neared the turn. The feet behind her slowed as well. She was a little tired of the sky's constant need to protect her. The red car shone brightly under a streetlight. It looked like a stain on an otherwise unremarkable patch of asphalt, but it felt like salvation. Her knees shook harder. She needed to reach the car, touch it, tell her senses that it was real. She began to run. Scott called out for her. He said she was starting to look a little unsteady and maybe she should take a rest. A rest sounded perfect. She just needed to get to the car first. As she moved closer, she could see that the vehicle was a little scuffed in the front. A cut on her forehead was dripping into her eyes, making her vision cloudy. Through the haze, she could see something in the driver's seat. Scott stopped walking behind her. There was more than something in the front seat. There was a person. She stumbled towards the car, not noticing how silent the night had gotten. There was a man in the driver's seat. He looked normal, if a bit alarmed. Then she noticed the slash of red across his throat. Jesse called back to Scott. 
The killer had been here. He was right. They needed to hide. No answer came. She turned around just as Scott lunged at her, scissors raised over his head, wolfish smile on his face. In his book, Too Good to Be True, folklorist Jan Harald Brunvand includes a transcript of four different conversations he had on Late Night with David Letterman from 1982 to 1987. Letterman continued to bring up the killer in the back seat, fascinated by it and his own personal connection to it. More than once, he admitted that someone close to him had told him a variation of the story, and he believed it to be true. Brunvon states the legend started to appear in the late 1960s, with the first reference location in the story being Ogden, Utah. Given that this was the beginning of luxury American traveling, it makes sense that some urban legends would arise around the subject of driving, as the interstate highways now connected the United States like never before. In the 1990s, the legend began to describe the killer as belonging to particular racial groups, Law enforcement spread the story as a warning for women about minorities, particularly black and Latinx people, participating in a dangerous gang ritual. The story itself has much in common with The Hook and The Boyfriend's Death. It deals with both a fear of isolation and the unknown when on the open road. But The Killer in the Back Seat raises the stakes of the story because rather than lurking outside, the killer has been lying in wait in the car the whole time. It uses a vital component of driving, focus, as a means for the killer to operate without fear of being caught. The woman has to depend on someone else, usually a man, to hear that her own safety has been threatened. It works in a storytelling sense, thanks to the dramatic irony of the driver not realizing the tailgater is trying to help, but the threat behind it is all too real. Brunvon points out that many of the characters that offer aid to the woman tend to come from a low socioeconomic status background, like a truck driver or be part of a racial minority. He believes that this element is meant to echo the fears of the white middle class, that they can't necessarily trust these people when they offer to help. Folklorist Diane Tai sees the setting of the legend as having a strong relationship with the specific societal fear that it's dealing with women's agency. She compares the killer in the back seat to several other urban legends that feature women driving cars. In each story, the woman is victimized. Ty sees this as reinforcing the idea that the car still belongs to men. The women are in danger specifically because they're alone in the car. It's a warning that women shouldn't be left in charge of themselves because they're unaware of the danger they could be in. There are no concrete records of male motorists having to tailgate women in order to save them from killers hiding in their cars. But there was a New York City police incident in 1964 that very likely inspired the legend. An escaped murderer decided to hide in the back seat of a car while the cops were doing a block-by-block -block search. The police seemed to be wrapping up, so the killer prepared to sit up and make a break for it. Just then, the door to the car opened and he was shot. The man had been hiding in an NYPD detective's car. Our cars are a sanctuary of our independence. They're our castles, 
We decide where and how they go. Even in many urban legends, the car is a refuge, protecting the damsel in distress from the big bad killer lurking outside in the dark night. The idea of him tapping on the glass, opening the door, or entering the cabin is a violation that even these stories won't contemplate. All except one story with an actual realistic basis, the killer in the back seat. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back tomorrow with a new urban legend and on Thursday with a new haunted place. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite podcast originals like Haunted Places for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Until tomorrow, don't believe some of the things you hear. Believe all of them. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Kenny Hobbs. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carrie Murphy, Maggie Admire, Freddie Beckley, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Rache. I'm Greg Paulson. <laughs>